0: We are continuing on our Lenten sermon series on the Gospel of John, and in particular, continuing on that section in the upper room. And in fact, where we began Lent was in the 13th chapter of John. We're in the 17th chapter of John. That's the bookends of the upper room. And the 17th chapter is a little unique as opposed to what's happened thus far. What's happened thus far is Jesus has been modeling, and he's been teaching, and he has been not only teaching, but preparing them for what's coming, preparing them for the fact that he's going to be dying and leaving them, preparing them for the fact that he's going to be leaving them, and ascending, because he makes reference to both. He's also warning them, and he also did this extensive teaching on the person of the Holy Spirit. So that's what's been happening so far. And Judas left early on. So what he has at this point is the 11 intimate, committed apostles. That's who he has. And that's why when we get to this prayer that he prays in John 17, and he talks about those who are mine, these are his intimates. These are those who have stuck by him for three years, trying to come to know him trying to come to understand who, who this Jesus is and understand this ministry that he's carrying out and that they would take on. But this is also an interesting time because something's changing. And he even addresses it in John 14, 1, when he says, let not your hearts be troubled. So as he comes to the end of this time of teaching, he prays for them. This is the most extensive prayer Jesus prays in scripture. We see different snippets of prayer that he does. He does one-liner prayers. And we see healings and we see miracles. And he even teaches them the Lord's Prayer once when he preaches on the Mount. Once when they ask him, teach us to pray. But this is one that he initiated. And it's actually broken down into three segments. The three segments are he actually prays for himself and his ministry. Then he prays for those who are his, the ones who have walked with him for three years, the ones that he's about to leave. And then he prays for the world, and in particular in the world, those who would follow him. It's known as the high priestly prayer where Jesus is the mediator. He's interceding. The ministry actually continues at the right hand of God. We say it every week in the creed. Where he continues to be our mediator, our interceder. When when one is mediating, one is trying to help. If you've ever had a mediator, if you've ever had a conflict where you need help, no one here probably has ever needed that. But sometimes we need someone to go between. And it's actually this high priestly prayer. The reference high priest is a throwback to the Old Testament where the high priest was actually the go between. He was the go between between God and man and man and God. And his particular role was to do the sacrifice for the Day of Atonement where the people, their sin was dealt with and they were reconciled to God. So that they could have this relationship. That they could trust in his grace and mercy. And so Jesus is called the high priest in Hebrews chapter 8. In fact, several times in the book of Hebrews. This mediator, Timothy says, the one mediator. The final mediator. The last mediator we need. The new covenant. The best covenant, the final covenant. But he's not just the high priest. He's also the sacrifice. As early as John chapter one, John the Baptist refers to him as the lamb of God, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, the Passover lamb made reference in scripture that we talk about again every Sunday in the communion service. So he is both priest and sacrifice. He's the perfect mediator of For our relationship. The final mediator. So that we can be reconciled for good. And know God's grace and mercy constantly. And one of the references that he makes in his prayer. Is that I have come to reveal the father. I've come to reveal God to you. So that you might know him by name. Because sometimes people have these fuzzy ideas about who God is. You can just look in our culture, all kinds of different ideas about God. And you want to know who God is? Jesus says, I've come to reveal it. Earlier in the upper room, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, let's just think about for a second. If you have seen people portrayed in the media who really aren't who they say they are. You ever seen that? Entertainers, politicians, athletes, clergy. You know, we look really good up here in our dresses. And, you know, we're saying holy words and all that kind. Not all clergy are really pure. Just look at the ones Jesus referenced a lot of times. Look at social media and how people portray themselves in social media. Why are they always happy? Some people are absolutely miserable and they will portray themselves as happy. Why? People will portray themselves as virtuous. They're dirt bags. <laughs> but it's interesting because Jesus portrays the Father. And what do we know about the Father? Just think about when he taught the Lord's Prayer. Our Father. He uses the term Daddy. A term of endearment and love and care. Not everybody has that idea of their father or their daddy. Because he wasn't this terribly loving and caring man. And that's why Jesus came to earth. God incarnate to portray a father who is loving, compassionate, caring, who reached out to the people who were despised and struggling, troubled. That's the kind of daddy reaching out to children. And Jesus said, This is what God daddy is like. Hallowed be your name, he's holy. He's perfect. If he's perfect, he's good. Your kingdom come. He's over everything. Everything is His. We can trust that He can deal with whatever challenges we have. Put that picture together. That's the God, the Father, that He reveals for us. He talks about His name. Jesus Christ. Jesus, He came to save us from our sin, from ourselves, from our challenges, from our struggles. He doesn't save us from all the circumstances of life, the crap in the world that we might deal with. Because there is. The challenges of sin. And evil people. And evil period. But he came to save us. And to care for us. And the Christ, the anointed one. The Messiah. The one appointed for this task to save us from our sin and our struggle and our pain for all eternity. When we turn to him by faith and accept what he's done for us. And as we talked about last week. Teaching about the Holy Spirit, I'll send you another counselor, counselor like me, someone to walk alongside you and help you and encourage you and defend you. And counsel you and guide you. Only a spiritual person so that he might be in you to strengthen you when you can't do it. And that's why the first that he prays for for those who are his is, I've come to reveal this God for you so that you would understand who he is. And then he says, And they've kept my word. Now, let's just pause here for a second. Did they keep it perfectly? Probably not. Do any of us keep it perfectly? Show of hands. Probably not. What that means is he's trying to impart to them. He walked with them, as we said, three years to teach them over and over again. To correct them, to guide them, to nurture them. To say, this is what it's like to keep my word. He modeled it for them because he was perfect. And then he said, I'll send you the Holy Spirit to do the same and empower you to do so. To keep my word. Because his word reveals his will. His truth, as he says over and over again, I am the way, the truth, the life. My word is truth. God's word is truth. The Father's word is truth. Over and over again, this idea this is truth. In a world where there are so many falsehoods, so many false truths, he came to be the truth, to tell the truth, to point to the truth. So that we might keep it. And what does keep it mean? Keep it means live it live it we keep it in our heart so that we can live it we live it in relationship to the father that we seek to grow in that love that knowledge and love of we live it with each other we live it we love as the father loves that's what keep it means And then he says this interesting phrase. He says, protect them. Protect them. He had just told them earlier in the upper room that the world's going to hate you like it hates me. And you're going to be persecuted just like they persecute me. And he's going to be killed. So they're probably thinking, "Okay, what does he mean by protect? If you catch what he says by protect. Protect them from the evil one. Because God's priorities aren't always the same as our priorities. When we hear the word protect, you know what we think? We think protect our children physically. Make sure they have the good things of life. Protect our beloved people, our family. Protect like a mother hen, a lioness. Protect like a fellow soldier. Protect. Those we care about. And that's all good. But Jesus has an eternal perspective. When He says protect from the evil one, He cares about spending eternity with them. That's what He cares about. So that they begin this walk now, eternal life now, because eternal life begins in this world, and carries on through eternity, so they spend eternity together. That's what He wants. He wants to take them home for all eternity. We are so concerned and consumed by this world, we lose sight of that. And we end up living for this world. Instead of with eternity in mind. He says, protect them so that they might be one, one with him, one with each other. Again, his priority. It's about that love. It's about living it out in our relationships. Protect them from evil, the evil one. You know, when, when the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus gave the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, if you really look at the original Greek or you look in the translation in the rack in front of you, you will see, deliver us from the evil one. You know, we start off, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. By the By the time you get to the end, every Sunday we pray and deliver us from evil, the Greek is the evil one. Not just from evil. Because we think that all evil should be kept away from us as if that's normal. It's not. Look at the world. It's the evil one. Because God wants us with him always. Always. Those you love, don't, want, don't you want them with you always? I do. I do. And then as he begins to wrap this prayer up, what does he say? So that my joy might be in you and your joy complete. We so often live for the counterfeit joy of the world, which is fleeting happiness. And we try to live from this happiness to that happiness, temporary, 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 instead of that permanent joy that he offers. So we can abide constantly and live in his joy. That when we understand his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy that we can live with, that we can offer to other people, we don't have to hold on to. The frustrations, the struggles, the pain, the anger, the defensiveness, the resentment, the troubled heart. We can let it go. And experience that joy. That's why when Jesus was praying this and he was saying all he was saying to his apostles to prepare them for what was coming. He said, you need to understand amidst all this challenge, this stuff, this pain, your world's going to be turned upside down. You will understand joy no matter what the circumstances are, because my spirit is going to keep you in my word, keep you in me. That's what I'm about. That's what I want for you now and for all eternity. But it starts now. You know, not only the the apostles in the upper room, two disciples who were very closely connected to them. After Jesus died. These two disciples walked. On home to the road to Emmaus. And they encountered Jesus they didn't know was Jesus. And Jesus starts talking to them about the scripture, about the truth, the word. And he starts talking about how the Messiah had to die and fulfill that for them, for their sin. Then it said when he broke the bread. That their eyes were open when they understood his sacrifice, the Lamb of God, their hearts were burning within them. See, we think of this joy as fleeting happiness. The joy that the Lord wants for us is so deep. That you almost like burn with it. Because you love life. And you love the Lord, and you love people around you. You know, when people say you're on fire, that's what it should be. And C.S. Lewis actually said, it's a great quote. He said, his peace is the effect of joy. So many people in our world don't live with peace. They live with that troubled heart. They struggle constantly. Because we do live in a world of challenges. We do live in a world of pain. We do live in a world that has evil. But when we understand the gift of Jesus Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we understand the gift of his word and what it means to keep his word. When we understand what he means by protection, to keep us and guard our soul, that his intention is to deal with our troubled heart. Whether it be anxiety or fear, or pain or struggle, or defensiveness or anger, whatever it is. You know, Jesus said. Let me read to you from Matthew 10. Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy destroy body and soul. See, once we understand the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, and then that fear moves to awe, and then that awe moves to love. And his love breaks into our heart and our soul and transforms us. So that we understand this gift that Jesus has prayed for, first for his apostles, and then for those who would believe after them. That's us. As we approach Palm Sunday next week, and Holy Week and Easter, my prayer is that you understand his prayer. My prayer is that you understand who Jesus has revealed. God to be and the gift of the Holy Spirit. My prayer is that you would keep his word in your heart and live it. And that you would know his joy. And his peace. Whenever you have a troubled soul. Let's pray. Lord God, in thinking about the upper room. The apostles already had troubled hearts and they had no idea what was in store for them in the coming days. The depth of despair on the cross. And yet the power of the resurrection. Lord, help us to realize that in you we needn't stay with a troubled heart. We needn't stay in the depth of despair and we needn't fear any evil because you sent your Son to deal with our sin, our trouble, our challenge and the threat of evil. You sent your Holy Spirit to lift us, to transform us, to fill us. And to bring us the fruit of joy and peace and love. Lord, help us this day, especially as we renew the baptismal covenant and share in this baptism. That we might be renewed in our commitment to you. And understand the gift that you've given to us in Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.